0: But it's great to be back. It's great to be back with you. And this morning, I would like to invite you to take out your Bibles and turn in them to the book of 1 Thessalonians and the fifth chapter of 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can turn in the back portion of that Bible to page 161, and you will be at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. Now, I've been gone for a while, so I think it would be good if maybe we began this morning with a pop quiz. Everyone excited about a pop quiz this morning? Here's the pop quiz. What is the shortest verse in the Bible? So someone tell me, what is the shortest verse? Okay, Jesus wept from John eleven thirty five is the answer that is most often given, and that verse in English has nine letters but if you look at the original language of John eleven 35 you'll find out that there are 16 letters to that verse the shortest verse in the Bible is 1st Thessalonians five sixteen because in the original language there are only 14 letters two less so now you are well equipped to most accurately answer the question, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is the shortest, but it's also very deep and very profound. There is a lot of truth in a small package here. And that small package is tied together with two other power-packed passages or packages And those are verses 17 and 18. And these verses have significant ramifications for how we are to operate in our everyday spiritual life. Now we are nearing the end of our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, which we have subtitled, Keeping Spiritually Straight in a Crooked World. And if you don't have one of the outlines from that study, they're available out in the lobby area there on the information table by the welcome desk. But we've come in our study of the book to a series of essential priorities. And verses 16 to 22 are very interesting because we have here a series of staccato commands. They're very crisp, short, pithy commands back to back to back and directly to the point. You have rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, do not quench the spirit, do not depise despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Boom, boom, boom. A whole series of commands. And I think those commands can be summarized this way. In verses 16 to 18, he's giving us some direction on how to thrive spiritually. In verses 19 to 22, he's giving us some direction on how to handle truth. Now today, we're going to look at the first part of that, verses 16 to 18. So I have entitled the message today, How to Thrive Spiritually. And that's something we all desire to do. We all desire to thrive spiritually. So if you desire to thrive spiritually, I want you to notice verses 16, 17, and 18. I'm going to read them. Follow along in your Bible as I read. You want to thrive spiritually? Here's what you do. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now as I read those verses, were you instantly encouraged? I mean, you do realize that these are all lifestyle commands that he is giving to those believers and to us. In other words, we are to consistently demonstrate this in our spiritual life. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Did you notice there's some key words there that we tend to trip over? They're the words always, without ceasing, in everything. Everything. And you know, if you just take a quick look at those verses, your response is something like this, oh, that's all I have to do to thrive spiritually? Just rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. If we're going to be honest, our emotional response is more like taking a deep breath and sighing and go, oh, more to do more to do. Well what I don't want you to do is to miss the significance of these verses just by having a surface reading of them. Because I believe they are truly giving to us some ingredients that will help us to thrive spiritually. These verses are essential to our spiritual walk. You see when he says rejoice always Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. These are not things that are out of our spiritual reach. These are all commands. The command is rejoice always. The command is pray without ceasing. The command is in everything give thanks. And the Holy Spirit did not inspire the Apostle Paul to give us those directives if they are impossible if they're unrealistic. In fact, God always provides the ability to do whatever he commands us to do. Here's what I want you to understand about verses 16, 17, and 18. These verses are all about perspective. They are all about perspective. They're calling us to certain mental attitudes that we are to have in our daily walk with God. And these are attitudes that when we implement them will lead us to thriving spiritually. And I believe these three verses are linked together strategically. So here we go. We're going to cover some very important information. I just simply want to encourage you to write this down. You know, if you like to write in your Bible, you can write in your Bible. There's blank pages in your Bible if you want to take some notes on the paper that's here. We're going to make available to you a little bit of a handout that will summarize some of this at the end of the morning. But I don't want you to miss this. This is important stuff. Don't miss it. How to thrive spiritually. Well, let's see. What does it begin with? Well, number one, if you want to thrive spiritually, rejoice always the NIV says be joyful always. Now the first thing we need to note here as we begin to unpack this whole verse and this command this directive is that there is a difference between happiness and joy. See happiness depends on circumstances. And we feel happy at certain times and not so happy at other times. And as life tends to flip-flop back and forth, so does our happiness quotient. When things are going good, we're happy. When things aren't going too good, we're not happy. Happiness depends on circumstances. Joy, though, is anchored in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Joy is a fruit that the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of you if you know him, will develop in your life, and it's not tied to circumstances. In other words, when he says rejoice always, he is not saying be on a constant emotional high because that's an impossible thing to do, to be on a constant emotional high, although many people in our culture today try to maintain a constant emotional high through ingesting artificial substances. But it's impossible to have that. That's not what he's calling us to at all. And this little directive, to rejoice always, is not limited to the positive thinkers in our midst. It's not limited to those who have the outgoing personality, the gregarious types. This is a directive for all of us. And I want you to understand that when he says, rejoice always, he is being very, very realistic about things. You see, Paul knew that the Thessalonians were experiencing suffering. He knew that they were experiencing affliction. In chapter 2, verse 14, he acknowledges that. In chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he acknowledges that. This is a directive that is very realistic. And Paul himself had experienced real life. And I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians. It's a little bit to the left in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And we'll see how Paul experienced this. So he knew this was realistic to say that we are to rejoice always. Notice chapter 6 and verse 4. He says, Commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, this is part of what they were going through, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Do those things describe anybody's month recently? That's what Paul was going through. But what I want you to notice in particular is what he says if you let your eyes drop down to verse 10. As he goes through all of these things, notice what he says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He was saying, here's the deal, I'm going through these various afflictions and hardships and tumults and beatings, and it's not fun. Emotionally, it's a sorrowful thing to experience. And yet, he says, notice what he says there, always rejoicing. How does that work? How does that work? Well, it all goes back to our relationship with Jesus. I want you to turn a little further, deeper into into the beginning of the New Testament to the Gospel of John and chapter number 15. The idea of rejoicing always is tied with our relationship with Jesus. And in John 15, you have the chapter on abiding, and he talks about how we are to abide. He's using a picture here. And we are to abide in Jesus, abide in Christ. We are to rest on our relationship with him. We're to rely on our relationship with him. But in particular, I want you to notice how he draws all of his thoughts about abiding together in verse 11. Of John 15, he says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see what he's saying? He says, This is all going back to your relationship with me, and as you abide in me, my joy will be in you and your joy will be made full. So as we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and he says we are to rejoice always. If I were going to rephrase that directive I might put it this way. Relish your relationship with Jesus. Relish your relationship with Jesus. Remember it. Rehearse it. Recall it. Celebrate it. Let His grace bowl you over every day. Let His love just carry you along through your week. Relish your relationship with Jesus. Now, there's many reasons why we should do that. I'm going to give you just a few of them. The first reason we should relish our relationship with Jesus is that we know the King of the universe. Now, if... if you were close chums with the president, that would change your whole outlook about the way you lived your life. I mean, can you imagine being so close to the president that if you didn't like what was going on, you just called and got him on the phone? Hey, 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 I don't like the way such and such is going on, or what's the answer to this, and uh, give me some insight about that be an incredible thing to be able to know the president, or, or to be a very close friend of those who are running right now for president, a close chum, a close buddy to McCain, or a close buddy to Obama. You know, where you could just call them up and say, let me give you some suggestions on how you ought to run. I want to know more about what it means. To, you know, you could just interact with all of them. And you, it would just change your countenance a little bit. Or for some of you, if you were just the closest friend to Oprah, and she was just your close buddy and you could interact and anything you wanted to know about, and you could converse all the time, it would change the way that you walk through your week. Or since we're in uh, football country here at the University of Oklahoma, what if Adrian Peterson, the, the former running back at OU, who's now in the Minnesota Vikings, what if he was your closest chum? And you just could call him up and say, let's go hang out together. Let's do stuff together. Or, or maybe uh, Sam Bradford, who's going to be quarterbacking the OU football team for the next three years. And he was just your bud. And you can go hang out with him and the team and find out all the inside stuff that was going on on the football team. And you could tell everybody, Sam Bradford's my closest friend. Or how about um, T. Boone Pickens, the billionaire oil man. What if he were your closest friend in the world? T. Boone, you know, I could use a little bit of cash. I'd like to buy a new car. No problem. I'll just write you the check. I mean, you know, it just affect the way that you live your life. Well, the reality is that if we know Christ personally, we know the king of the universe. We have complete access to him. And what T. Boone Pickens has is nothing compared to what the king of the universe has. And you know what's amazing about knowing the king of the universe? This is what's amazing, is that he likes you more than you admire him. That's awesome to think about. He likes you even more than you admire him. And not only that, but as the king of the universe, he has said to you, if you know Jesus Christ personally, he has said, you know what, I'm calling you friend. And not only that, I want to adopt you into my family. You're an adopted member of the family. Come on in. And not only that, he says, I want to share my inheritance with you. I mean, if T. Boone called you up and said, I want to... Share my inheritance with you. I mean, some of us would be doing a happy dance for three weeks. The reality is that the king of the universe has already told you that. I want to share my inheritance with you. We need to relish our relationship with Jesus. One reason why is that we know the king of the universe. A second reason why we should relish our relationship with Jesus is that our future is certain, it is secure, and it is fabulous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says this, I has not seen... An ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man. Man hasn't even begun to imagine all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Our future is certain and secure and fabulous. And you see, men and women, that perspective is the only perspective that really will explain 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 16 to 18. The fact that our future is certain, secure, and fabulous is the only thing that explains chapter 4 verses 16 to 18. Paul says there, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, they're temporary, but the things which are not seen are are eternal now I've always been fascinated by this because in verse 17 he describes what he is going through this way momentary light affliction It's just momentary light affliction and then if you flip over though to chapter 11 and verses 23 and following you find out what the momentary light affliction was He said, we have been in far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I have received from the Jews 39 lashes. 39 lashes was to be one short of what would kill you. He went through that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. He goes on and on and describes the momentary light affliction. And yet he says so clearly as he's experiencing those things. That is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen in this life, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says, my focus is on the future. It is certain, secure, and it is fabulous. See, men and women, this command back in 1 Thessalonians, it's all about... It's all about perspective. It's all about perspective. We relish our relationship with Jesus, number one, because we know the king of the universe. Number two, our future is certain, secure, and fabulous. And number three, God uses goofy people like us. It's just true. I don't know if you've looked more carefully when you look in the mirror on Sunday morning but if you look a little more carefully, you'll notice there's somebody goofy there we are goofy I am goofy you are goofy we're all goofy together and the amazing thing is that God uses goofy people like us you might look at Ephesians chapter 3 it's a few pages to the left first Thessalonians verse 10 one of the most amazing verses in all of the Bible It's talking about God's whole plan to use the church and to build a body. And it's supposed to demonstrate and teach things about the wisdom of God. But notice in verse 10, it talks about the manifold, the multifaceted, colorful wisdom of God might now, in human history, be made known. And then here comes the three key words, through the church. Men and women, that's you and that's me. God wants to use goofy people like us to let the manifold wisdom of God be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in heavenly places. God wants to use us to touch the world, and He wants to use us to teach the heavenlies, do you know that we are the instructors in the graduate school for the angelic realm? You ever begin your week thinking that? Yeah, got to get out there in my week. Uh, I'm the uh, graduate instructor for the angelic realm. Uh, I'm, I'm here to help demonstrate the wisdom of God to all of the universe. But it's true, it's true. God uses goofy people like us. You know, another verse that's been one of the most meaningful verses I, I, that I have in my entire repertoire for my spiritual life is, I've mentioned this before, is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, because it says there, What do you have that you did not receive? And the truth of the matter is, everything we have is, is a gift from God. The talents that we have, the abilities that we have, the gifts that we have, Even the opportunities that we have, the looks that we have, the finances that we have, it all comes from Him. I mean, we're just goofy people that He gave this stuff to. God uses goofy people like us. I remember back in the days when I was in junior high school and and in high school, and I had a pretty simple future in my mind. There's only two things I really was interested in. I wanted to be a disc jockey, And I wanted to get married to a nice girl. That was it for Bruce. Simple little life I was living. wanted to spin some records. And I wanted to get married. And I remember making the vow. One thing I will never do, I will never do it, I will never, ever, ever do it, is I will never be the pastor of a church. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Not going to go there. And what happens? God begins to stir in my heart. And I stand before you now, and I have been a pastor for 29 years. And then, you know, you come along, and and God opens up this door of ministry to the nation of Latvia. And the Bible teaching from Wildwood ends up being broadcast two times a week to 100,000 listeners. And then the messages from Wildwood end up being in one of the sharpest magazines of Europe, published every month. And then God opens up an opportunity for my wife and I to go on staff with Family Life to be able to teach at marriage conferences around the country. We've been doing that for 12 years. Did I deserve any of that? Oh, my goodness. I'm just a goofy person. And if you doubt that, ask my wife, okay? Ask my kids. They'll tell you I got a heavy dose of goofy going the truth is that none of us are big shots. All of us are undeserving. So we should relish our relationship with Jesus. He says rejoice always. Relish your relationship with Jesus. But a big key to doing that is the next verse. The next verse. A big key to relishing a relationship with Jesus is to pray without ceasing. The NIV says pray continually. What does that mean? Does that mean we're supposed to pray 24-7? We're supposed to pray non-stop? That you're supposed to get on your knees and you keep your eyes closed constantly? Is that what it means? You know that some of the ancient monks interpreted verse 17 to mean that, that prayer needed to be uninterrupted. Of course, they, they couldn't do that individually, so what they did is they set up 24-hour-a-day prayer, and they would have to be in shifts to keep it going constantly to fulfill what it says in chapter 5 and verse 17. But one thing we know is we as individuals cannot do that. We cannot pray around the clock individually, and this was addressed to a group of believers. To pray around the clock is unrealistic, and it's impossible for an individual. So what is he saying here? Well, that little phrase, without ceasing, was used outside of the New Testament to describe having the sniffles. You know when you have the sniffles and you go, and then a little bit of time passes and then you have to go again. It was used of describing a cough. And hopefully you've never been in a situation where you're in such a coughing fit that you literally have nonstop coughing. But what happens is you tend to cough, (laughs) And then a few minutes later, you know, <coughs> you cough again. My wife is just coming out of a bout with bronchitis. And a part of that has been her coughing. And when she's been coughing, it's, I mean, it's so loud you can hear it from anywhere in the house. We have a fairly big house. And I'm grateful that that wasn't just constant, you know, total nonstop. But what she's been experiencing as she's been battling that is she's always on the verge of coughing. And that's the idea here when he says that we are to pray without ceasing. We are always be on the verge of prayer. So if I were going to just rephrase that, I would maybe put it this way. Stay in close touch. Stay in close touch touch. It's what I would like to to uh, acknowledge as being uh, in the practice of practicing the presence of Jesus where we're constantly and consciously aware that he is with us. Stay in close touch. Now if I could use the vernacular of the day it would be like this. Never go offline with Jesus. Have an ongoing chat going. Have ongoing messaging going with Jesus. Stay in close touch. Practice the presence of Jesus because he is always with you. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 91. He talked about dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. Do you see the picture he's drawing? I want to just kind of hang out in God's shadow. He's always going to be with me, and I'm going to be consciously aware of that. And so we stay in close touch. We never go offline. We have an ongoing chat. John Bunyan said, Prayer is a shield to the soul. And so the idea here is that we, as we stay in close touch and we pray without ceasing, we, are constantly, we have constantly recurring prayer. So we wake up and some prayer may break out. We're in the shower and we may have some prayer. Uh, We may be driving to school or driving to work and there can be some prayer. We may be cooking, we may be folding uh, clothes, there can be prayer. We may be doing our chores and there can be prayer that breaks out. We can be at work on our job and there can be prayer. You know, as we face difficulty at work, and we go, God, this is a difficult person for me to deal with. Uh, I need wisdom on how to deal with them. Help me to treat them like you would treat them. Uh, If you're having a conflict with your spouse, there can be prayer that comes out of that. Lord, I don't want to overreact. I want to respond softly to them, as the Word of God says. I want to be slow to anger. Give me wisdom. Give me the right words. As you deal with frustration with your child or frustration with a parent, prayer can break out. There's just this ongoing chat with God. Lord, I don't know what to do. Give me wisdom about this. I want to love them. I want you to love them through me. And here's what happens. As we stay in touch, we will relish our relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm going to be completely authentic with you this morning, okay? I mean, let's not pretend. The question might come, do I lose perspective as I'm living my life? And the answer to that is, yes, I do. Does it affect my joy? And the answer to that is, yes. Is it unavoidable? No. Not at all. And what I need to do when I'm losing perspective and it's affecting my joy is I need to pause and adjust my perspective. Pray without ceasing. Stay in close touch. But a big key to doing that is the next verse. Where he says in verse 18... If you want to be praying without ceasing, in everything, give thanks. The NIV says, give thanks in all circumstances. The New Living Translation says, no matter what happens, always be thankful. And the first response we have to that is, whoa, whoa, what a timeout. Wait just a minute now. I am, no matter what happens, to be thankful always. Come on. You don't know my circumstances. Isn't this the way we tend to respond when we see that? You don't know the spouse that I'm living with. You don't know the child I'm having to deal with. You don't know about my job. You don't know about the evil thing that someone did to me. You don't know about the evil intent these people have for me. How can I be thankful in the best of times and the worst of times? Now, if I'm going to rephrase this directive, I might phrase it this way. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Now, how do we do that? Well, a big key is the rest of the verse. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, no matter what may be happening in everything, we can cultivate an attitude of gratitude knowing that it's God's will for us in Christ Jesus, knowing that He is in control, that He is with us, that He has a plan no matter what may be happening to us if we know Him personally. See, men and women, we are all enrolled in the School of Adversity. Every single one of us is enrolled there. And the only way you ever graduate from the School of Adversity is to graduate up into heaven. We're all in the School of Adversity, but the curriculum will differ. Some of us will be taking one particular course, and others of us will experience another course. And it may differ from the time of life that we're in. The curriculum will differ, but the aim is always the same. And the aim in the school of adversity is to shape us. And trials come in our life to grow us closer to Jesus and to grow us up. So we can cultivate an attitude of gratitude when we have confidence, no matter what may be happening, that God has a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a great verse for whatever you may be experiencing, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. These are people that were going through difficult times. And they could cultivate an attitude of gratitude by having confidence that God has a plan. So we may not know the plan. We may not understand the plan. But we do know that He has a plan. And part of that plan is that we might grow closer to Him and that we might grow up, that we might develop as a person. One other passage I want you to look at to the left in your Bible, Romans chapter 5. Because it talks about the plan. Particularly the plan to grow us up and develop us. Verse 3. He says, we also exult in our tribulations. We have joy in our tribulations. Knowing that there's a plan. And God wants to grow us up and develop us. That tribulation brings about perseverance, that's the ability to endure things. And perseverance brings about proven character, and proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God has a plan, and part of that plan is for us to grow closer to Him and to grow up. Now, I just want you to understand, Paul is not talking theoretically about something that he didn't live in his own life. Paul practiced this. And if you study the New Testament, you'll find out that at one particular point, Paul was tossed into prison by the Romans. Now, was he happy about that? No, he was actually sorrowful about that. Because his heart passion, what he wanted to be doing was to be out and sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ with the Gentiles. That's where he wanted to be, but that's not where he was. But I wanted you to see that he understood this whole idea that God had a plan. Because in Ephesians 3.1, here's how he describes himself. He says, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus Now, what is he saying by that? He's saying, well, the fact that I'm in prison right now is not a matter of chance. It's not due to the intrigue of the Romans, where humanly that's what you would think it was, because that's what happened. The intrigue of the Romans led him to being in prison. But he says, that's not why I'm here. I'm here, he said, by the design and the plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. See that way that works? We can cultivate an attitude of gratitude knowing that God has a plan. And even when my wife gets bronchitis, there's a plan involved. Even as I came to the end of my vacation, I got this horrific cold sore right in the front of my lip. And even when you get strep throat, even when as one of the wives of one of our elders did this week, have a kidney stone, even when You get cancer, even when you are fired, even when your pay is cut in half, even when you experience divorce. See, it doesn't mean that we're thankful for those things. It doesn't mean you go, wow, I'm so excited I have this horrible cold sore. I'm so excited that I have a kidney stone and it's causing me pain. I'm so excited that my pay is cut in half. You're not thankful for those things, but you can be thankful in the midst of those things, knowing that God is in control, God is with us, and God has a plan. He has a plan for those things. This is very, very practical truth. In my younger years, um, we didn't have a lot of money, and so that meant when cars needed to be repaired, I really, frankly, I didn't have that great of vehicles. Uh, I I couldn't afford to pay a PAM mechanic to do it. So that means moi, you know. Now, if you think when I took all those aptitude tests that I scored high on mechanical ability, I want to tell you something. I scored at the bottom on mechanical ability. But I didn't really have any choice, and so I began to work on our vehicles. And I was always thankful for people like Lewis Boyd who would be there and give me a few tips about things. But you know what, I had a lot of growing up to do, doing that, a lot of developing. One of the things I learned about repairing things when you don't know what you're doing is you're going to have problems in the process and so that used to happen to me and I began to anticipate the fact that problems are going to come because I needed to grow up a little bit in my ability, I needed to develop and so I would start laughing when they would happen. And some of the stuff, you wouldn't believe some of the things I tackled. But you see, I realized that there was a process involved in this. And of course, I got better and more skilled as time went on. And so that's the idea here is we, we, we cultivate an attitude of gratitude. That even when we have setbacks and even when we have hardships and even when we have disappointments in life, we realize it's part of His plan. And we can thank Him because we, we know that part of the plan is He wants us to grow closer to Him By the way, when you go through a lot of these things, that's what happens, isn't it? Tell you something, you get the call that says positive for cancer and you grow closer to Jesus. It happens that way. We realize that he has a plan. Part of the plan is that we would grow closer and part of the plan is that we would grow up. I've been pursuing the spiritual life now with a lot of intensity for 38 years I am not the same person who started 38 years ago because God has had a plan and His part of his plan is to grow me up to make me more like Jesus and here's what happens when you cultivate an attitude of gratitude no matter what's going on when you do that you'll thrive spiritually. You'll thrive spiritually. Men and women, this is practical truth. This is practical truth. Now, I want to alert you to something. It's very important. I want to alert you to the fact that Satan has a plan for your life as we interact with these verses. What his plan for your life is, he wants to beat you up. He wants to say, wait a minute now, you're talking about rejoicing always and praying without ceasing and everything give thanks. You know, frankly, you stink when it comes to that. That's what he wants to whisper in your ear. You are as inconsistent as anybody could ever be. In fact, you're a failure. And so don't let the enemy hammer you in that way. That's what he wants you to hear as you come face to face with this truth but I want to tell you what the the Heavenly Father wants you to hear this is what the Heavenly Father wants you to hear he says to you and to me I want you to grow into this as a lifestyle not expecting perfection out of you but I want you to develop in this whole area of rejoicing always and praying without ceasing and in everything giving thanks I want you to to grow into that and when you do As you're growing in that, you will thrive spiritually. Now, life response. What do we do about all this? Well, you know, I I just simply want to make a summary of what we've looked at today by way of some life response. And we've put together a little handout that I have entitled My Spiritual Life Recipe Card, Ingredients for Thriving Spiritually. And these will be available as you go out the doors if you'd like to pick one up. Or we have it on the front page of the webpage at wildwoodchurch.org and you can download a PDF and print it on your own if you'd like to. But this is really, all we're trying to say is we want to begin to grow into this as a lifestyle. So this little card can be used in your spiritual times. Maybe put it someplace you can be looking at just to remind you of what we've talked about. The ingredients for spiritual, spiritually thriving. Number one, relish your relationship with Jesus. Rejoice always. You know the king. <laughs> you know the king. And a big key to that is number two, stay in close touch. Pray without ceasing, ongoing communication with the king. And a big key to that is number three, cultivate an attitude of gratitude. In everything, give thanks. And a big key to that is remembering that God has a plan. And the plan is for us to grow up and to grow closer. So all I'm saying is use that information just to refresh your thinking, to refresh your perspective. Keep it before your eyes. And I will tell you this, as you grow into that, you'll find yourself thriving spiritually no matter what may be happening in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this book, this awesome, awesome book, the Bible, the most awesome book in all of the universe. And we thank you for this incredible truth that we had laid out before us and deliver us from thinking this is impossible, it's unrealistic, it can't happen. Because it can happen. And Father, I would pray that each one of us, man, woman, young person, that as we begin to grow into these ingredients, and that we would thrive spiritually like never before. We would pray that next year at this time, we would just not be the same men and women than we are right now. Work in our life. Show us what it means to thrive spiritually, we pray. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.